Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure and a treat for us to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who were not here at Sunday School, um, I'm Steve, and this is my, my wife, Vicki, um, here in the front row. Um, just, I guess just a few weeks ago uh, was our 27th wedding anniversary, so we've been together a few years, and we've got a few stories that come along with that. I'll try not to share too many of those this morning, but um, great to be with you. We are currently living in um, uh, Linwood, Washington, so just a few suburbs up from uh, Seattle, um, and uh, currently involved in a Hispanic, uh, West, actually the church I grew up in, um, from the age of five when our family moved from Canada uh, here to the States, was involved in that church growing up and then went away to Bible school and then we were on the mission field. I'll share about that in, uh, briefly about that in just a moment. Um, and then we're currently back in the States and we got involved, found some other Hispanic speaking families in the church and uh, we, we actually kind of began a, kind of unintentionally almost, uh, began a Spanish speaking service. So we're part of that, that leadership group. Uh, currently, we're both working um, in just regular jobs or maybe irregular jobs. I manage a company for, um, that delivers packages for Amazon um, and uh, responsible for, I think, as of today, about 77 drivers and about 50 vans. Um, life is interesting right now. Um, and then my wife is a medical interpreter um, with, uh, between uh, Spanish and French uh, with either of those languages into English. So she's got lots of... Both of us could tell lots of stories about our jobs and things, but that's not why we're here this morning. So um, we've, we spent um, 15 years uh, serving with biblical ministries worldwide um, in ministry in France, um, working with, with Muslims, and uh, really grateful for the, the opportunity God has given to us. We're currently in the States, and we are, our hearts are launched, are, are are, are ready to go, and circumstances have not allowed us to do that. So our great uh, passion is to get back to France and the ministry that God has called us to there. We do have four children. Our oldest is, um, is Anna, and she's working in uh, nonprofit ministry in Seattle. Um, then our two middle children, Joshua and Julie. Joshua's in his final year um, of Bible uh, Institute in France, uh, training to become a pastor. Um, and we'll see if that's where he actually follows. That's where his heart is directing him. God really has greatly used him um, as he as he um, as he speaks and ministers. Um, and then our daughter Julie is just starting. She's not exactly sure what where she's going to go. She has an interest in in languages and uh, maybe um, being involved in Bible translation. And then our youngest uh, daughter uh, Alicia, who was supposed to be with us today, but uh, she came down sick a few days ago and it's and starting to recover and then she just just the flu or something we're, we're we, we think um, at this point but anyways it's a real pleasure uh, for us to be with you um, this morning so I will be um, just uh, opening up the word with you and I'm I'm more of a teacher than a preacher so I'm, I'm going to ask you maybe some questions here so I, is that okay I just asked a question okay all right um Good. So where there's a there's a passage in Scripture that tells us that God preached the gospel in the Old Testament. Anybody know where that is? Say that one more time. That God, yeah, God does preach the Old Testament. Yeah. So there's um, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump right into this text because um, if I get off on questions, I'll, I'll, I'll I can take all day because that, that's I enjoy doing that. But but there is a very interesting verse, right? You know, so God God sent my wife and I to. 
um, to, to France, to minister to Muslims. I mean, why do we do that? It's because God has given us uh, a command. Um, it's God's heart's desire is that, that all people be reached with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, and so there's an interesting verse in Galatians, and I, I didn't know what to speak on when Robert asked me, approached me about a month or so ago, um, and I didn't know. So I just went on the church website, I saw he was solidly in the New Testament, so I'm like, I'm just going to do something out of the Old Testament. So we're going we're gonna to be in the Old Testament just to give you a bit of variety. I love both Old and New, um, but I'm actually going to start in the New Testament here. In Galatians chapter 3, I'll just read this for you quickly, and I'm in the um, English Standard Version uh, this morning. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, so here we see God's, we, we, we see God's heart. Um, so even back in the Old Testament, um, God's heart was for, for all peoples and nations. And I'd like us to, to, go, to jump back into Genesis, and uh, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Genesis chapter 16. Um, Genesis chapter 16, I'll, give you, I'll go back a bit further just to give you a bit more of the context of Genesis, Genesis 16 as well here. So find in your Bibles, Genesis uh, chapter 16, and I'll just read the first, uh, not even the first verse, just the first half of the first verse. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Um, that's a theologically pregnant statement. Um, so anyways, here is, here is um, the context here. Um, is is very important. So let's let's jump back. Who is Sarai? Who is Abram? So if we go back to um, actually the the overall context, right? God has created um, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapters one and two. Then of course we have uh, Genesis chapter three, where man falls into sin, um, and they're they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Eden. Um, you know, man does not fulfill the responsibility um, that, that God has given to them uh, in, in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2. Then over the uh, next chapters in Genesis, we again and again, we see that man fails um, the responsibilities that God gives to man because of sin in their pride and sin. And, then, um, and of course, we've got the flood in Genesis chapter 6. We've got the Tower of Babel, chapter 11, and actually at the end of um, chapter 11, we're first introduced to, to, um, to Abram um, here, um, actually verse uh, 31. Let me just read a few verses here. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The, um, Sorry, yeah, and I actually meant to, to go up uh, a couple of other verses here um, in that passage, chapter 11. It says, And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. And just to reinforce the point, she had no child. Um, so that's chapter 11. Then in chapter 12, we get to the verses that were referenced in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3, 
um, this, this great promise here as God calls, calls Abraham out of his um, pagan background. Um, and uh, here in chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you, and notice there's several promises here, and I'll make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it's particularly that last promise. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Galatians chapter 3, is talking about the preaching of the gospel here in the Old Testament. Just a wonderful passage. Um, if you're not really familiar with it, I think it's one of the... the there's several passages in the Old Testament that you must understand in order to understand the New Testament. And this, is, this happens to be one of them, along with Exodus 12, Exodus 19, and, and uh, maybe a few others. But uh, super, super important here to understand God's, God's uh, not only for, for the text that we're looking at this morning, but for God's entire plan and uh, what he's doing in the world today. Um, and then also Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Um, so that's also important as well here for, to understand our context as we come um, to Genesis um, chapter 16. And I'm going to do something that I typically do not do um, when I preach, and that is here I'm just going to give you kind of a bland or generic outline, and then as we come back and um, kind of recap and make application, I'm going to actually change my outline. Is that okay with you? I'm going to do it anyway, so, um, but uh, anyway, so this is not the way I normally do things, but I'm going to do it a bit different. It just seemed to fit together um, a bit better for us this morning. So let's take a look on this morning and see how God is working um, in the life of, of Abraham and Sarah, and a woman by the name of Hagar. So chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So there we, we see that again, right? We just have a few verses about Sarai, and already we've seen three times emphasizing the fact that she had no child. Now for us, we might think, oh, that's just kind of sad, or that's too bad. But keep in mind, what is happening here? What's the context? God has called Abraham out of his pagan roots... He's brought him into a new land. He's making a promise, making promises to him. He specified, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, what? That it was going to be his offspring that would be heir to the land, that would receive that inheritance. This is a bit of a big deal, right? This is not just a sad, this is not just a woman who wishes she had a child, which is sad in itself when that, that, that does not happen. But there's great theological significance um, to what is happening here. And if we go back and we look in, in some of the other chap, uh, um, chapters, chapter 15, we see that, um, you, you know, I mean, at this point in our story in chapter 16, Abraham is already um, 83 years old. I mean, that's the age of my father right now. Like, so, and this guy doesn't have any kids, and God's saying, you know, you're going to have a child. Sarah, uh, by the way, our Genesis chapter 16 talks about Sarai. I'm often going to say Sarah, unless I'm reading it. So just so you're aware, I do understand there's the, the, the name shift there. But force of habit, I'll probably refer to Abraham and Sarah instead of Abram and Sarai. 
But chapter 15, you know, Abraham is probably thinking here, you know, I'm getting kind of old and I don't have a child. Like God promised me that I'm going to have a child and that these promises are going to be fulfilled in him. So he's thinking, you know, kind of the custom of that day was that if you didn't have a child, you would kind of turn to one of your trusted servants and you would make them like an adopted child. And they would become, they would be the one that would, um, or, or they would be the one that would uh, receive that inheritance. And so that was Abraham's uh, trusted servant, Eliezer, in chapter 15. And God tells him, nope, it's going to be your own child. It's going to be your own seed. Those promises are going to be fulfilled. <clears throat> so that's, the, that's the, uh, the really brief context as we come here to, uh, to chapter 16. So the first thing we see here is that an awareness that things are not what they should be. Normally, if God's promises is to be fulfilled, we would expect to see what? As we read chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, is pregnant or something like that, right? That's the kind of statement we're expecting, but it's not. Things are not what they should be. Something's wrong. Um, and so this is, this is critical here. And then let's, let's go on here and read what happens next. The second thing we're going to see here is a failed attempt to make things what they should be. A failed attempt to make things what they should be. Verses 1 through 6. Um, just be aware, this is not Abraham and Sarah at their finest, okay? Um, now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham, or sorry, so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Ouch. Um, yeah, nobody's looking too, uh, very good in this story so far, right? Um, so, so, what, so what is actually happening here? So just like Ab Abraham in chapter 15 is thinking, you know, maybe I can kind of adopt my servant Eleazar. Maybe he'll be the, the channel of God's blessing. You know, here we are a few years later. Sarai's is uh, thinking and scheming. And, and, and by the way, um, Abraham and Sarah are not wrong for wanting to see God's promises uh, fulfilled, right? There's nothing wrong with, their, with the intention here, right? Here is in the process of, of, of how they actually try and bring that about. So it was actually a culturally accepted practice in the day um, in a family, in a wealthy family, that if the wife... Um, could not conceive that they would give um, a servant to their husband 
almost like in their place, and that child of that relationship would be considered the child of not only the husband, but also of, let's say, let's say wife number one, right? Or the principal wife would actually be considered their child. So um, scripture, by the way, is not condoning this practice. It was, however, a practice that did occur at that day and time. And we actually have a couple of examples um, from, from ancient history of this, of this kind of practice. So somewhere between, between a concubine and wife was kind of the status of, of, of this uh, kind of relationship. <clears throat> so as, as we look at this, here's some things we, uh, we, want, we want to see. Uh, first of all, uh, Sarai recognizes that God is the one that's preventing this. God is the one that's not allowing her to conceive. So there is that, that understanding of what's, you know, that, that, that um, um, of the theological element. Um, she says, go, go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, or Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant. And by the way, servant is repeated uh, five times in these six verses, right? really stressing that, that um, Sarah is, is the wife, Hagar is the servant, right? This is a, there's some real class distinction here. And gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So here's that the whole status thing, and the word that is used here is, is kind of interesting, and at that time seemed to be in, in transition, but, but somewhere between a concubine and an, actual, um, and an actual wife here. And he went into Hagar and... She conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, right? So here the focus is on, is on Hagar, and what happens, right? So now, now she's pregnant. How is she looking at Sarah at this point? So it's really interesting that the, the expression in, in, in Hebrew, it's not actually the word contempt, it's actually she made her little in her eyes. So it's almost like, like Hagar's stature is increasing and Sarah's stature is decreasing in this story is kind of what is, what is happening here. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. What's happening here? What, what's happening? I'm, I'm actually looking for an answer here. Blame. Blame. Oh, my. I'm glad it doesn't happen in our homes, right? <laughs> I can't look at my wife right now. Am I kidding? <laughs> right? Um, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant, so again, this word servant, my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. All right? Again, it's that, that expression, um, she, you know, I, I became little in, in her eyes is, is, is the idea here. Um, may the Lord judge between you and me. I don't think that was expressed in loving kindness. Um, it's, not, it's not the tone that I'm reading here in this passage. So Abra, you know, Abraham here does the manly thing, and he says, no, no, he doesn't. What does he do? I'm sure it's his duty. So you take care of it. <laughs> yeah, wow. 
He's a um, happy life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting the the words that Ab- that that Abraham actually uses here. But Abraham said to Sarai, "Behold, your what's the word? Behold, your." Your servant. So what's happening, right? We have this change in status, right? So Hagar's kind of, you know, increasing, right? She's becoming bigger, right? Sarah's becoming smaller, littler. So Abram, instead of saying, my, my wife, says, your servant. So he's kind of placing, her, placing Hagar back under Sarah's authority here. And behold, your servant is in your, your power, or the idea is, is literally like, like in your hand, do to her as you please. The next verse tells us that, Abra, that in this case, um, Sarah was very obedient. Then Sarai dealt, how did she deal? Harshly. Harshly, do anybody else have a different version? Mistreated. Mistreated, yeah. Um, then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So it's very interesting, um, several times in this passage, there's some of the verbs that are used. There's almost like the mere image um, of, of those verbs used in once we get to the book of Exodus. Um, and this happens to be one of them. So when it says that um, Sarai dealt harshly with her, that same word is the word that is used when it talks about the Egyptians mistreating the Israelites. This was not just a, I'm not serving you coffee this morning, right? This was almost certainly, um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there was at least verbal abuse and may even have been some physical abuse. That the, the, the word certainly allows for that. There may have been some slapping or pushing, like, we're, like it's kind of left to our imagination, but, the, but I mean, it's the same word, but it talks about the Egyptians mistreating the Israelites, right? They were out there with whips, Right, um, they were, you know, expecting them to do far more than, than, than they could produce. Uh, then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Interesting. So she's fleeing from Sarah, not from not from Abraham. So in this, it's very interesting to to kind of uh, read read through this, um, as we see that, you know, at the beginning, right, things aren't quite what they should be then there's, there's this attempt to kind of make things happen because for some reason God's just not quite capable of making them come about. So we have to kind of help God here, right? That's kind of the idea of what's happening. And of course, anytime we try and help God out and not doing things his way, it gets messy really, really quickly. Um, and then here's, where the, here's the part I really love. When we come to verse, uh, verses 7 and through the end of the chapter here, um, so, and, and here, here's what we see um, here is a God who comforts when things are not what they should be. In the midst of our sin, God is there to provide comfort. Um, chapter 7, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7 and, and, and going on there. The angel, of the, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Berlahiroi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So what I want us to see here is, and I think that um, here this passage is often kind of misinterpreted, uh, maybe for a couple of reasons. First of all, in, in, in Galatians, right, it uses, um, it uses um, Hagar and Sarah and, and, and Ishmael and Isaac as, as a picture um, of, of, of the, the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. And so sometimes I think we tend to, um, we kind of tend to view that in an extremely negative light but it's just using, um, it's using that in a different context, and I won't have a chance to go into that right now. But, um, but I think we tend to allow that lens to, uh, unfortunately, color this in a way it was not intended to be colored. So I want us to look here is to see that the angel of the Lord here is going to comfort um, Hagar. Um, the angel of the Lord found her by, verse, verse, verse 7 again, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Um, and by the way, from the geograph geographical uh, clues that we have here, we're, we're probably talking of a distance of 60 or so miles, right? So she's not, hadn't, you know, wasn't on her way leaving um, Abram and Sarah when, when the angel of the Lord appears to her. We're, we're talking days later. Um, and he said, Hagar, notice how he addresses her, servant of Sarai. So he's putting her in that, in that status here as servant of Sarai, not as, as Abraham's wife. And he asked a very interesting question. And I'll return to this in, in, in my application here at the end. Where have you come from and where are you going? Why do you think the angel of the Lord is asking that question? Because he's kind of stumped. What is this lady doing out here? He's doing it. So Hagar has to think and share. Right? What is going on? What is actually going on from her perspective? Um, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, this is very interesting, return to your mistress, and submit to her. Return to your mistress and submit to her. Do you think that's what Hagar wanted to hear? I don't think so either. But it's interesting when we see what follows and we begin to maybe understand a bit of the intentions of the angel of the Lord here. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Have we heard that promise before? Anybody, anybody here remember who that was made to? Abraham? To Abraham, and if we go later, 
in Genesis, right? It's repeated, right? Um, it's in 15. Yeah. 15, 17, right? So, so it's, it's a, uh, that or a very similar promise is found actually throughout uh, Genesis and then also to the, to the um, um, Isaac uh, as well. And so they cannot be enough for multitude. Anybody else remember anywhere else in Scripture where this kind of a promise is made to a woman? Because it's not there. So it's very interesting, this contrast between return and submit to, to Sarah, the mistress, right, who is mistreating her. And then he turns around and says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered from multitude. So here the angel of the Lord is actually blessing her. Blessing her. And notice that, that the, the, the pronoun here is I. Who is the angel of the Lord here? This is the Lord himself who is speaking uh, to, uh, to Sarah um, in, her, in her moment of distress. And the angel of the Lord said to her, and we continue on, verse 11, Behold, you are pregnant. Okay, that's not news. And shall bear what? A son. Remember they didn't have... Um, what are those things called now? I'm thinking of the word. Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the word in, in French. But um, she'll bear a son, right? They didn't, they couldn't, she couldn't go and, uh, you know, have a little test done to know if it was a, a boy or a girl. Naturally, it's, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a son. Um, you shall call his name Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? Anybody know? God hears, all right, okay, yeah, somebody has, uh, either has good knowledge or good footnotes, okay, yeah, great job, yeah, God hears, you shall call his name, God hears, because the Lord has listened to your affliction, the Lord has listened to your affliction, um, and so what I want us to understand here is when, when, when God is asking her to go back and return to Sarah, to submit to her, that's not punishment. He has his purpose, and, but before he, he, she's actually sent back, he's giving her hope. He's giving her hope. Um, so, so that's the, the, the context here. Then we come to and what is often kind of controversial, and um, my, uh, as I've, I've looked at this, and largely following um, um, a, an Arabic believer by the name of Tony Malouf, who's done a lot of research on this, and he's actually coming out with another book, I think, about uh, Ishmael late, uh, next month. I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting my hands on that. But, but um, verse 12 says, he, he makes some, pre some uh, predictions here about Ishmael. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. Anybody, I don't know if there's anybody here expecting, um, is that how you'd want your child to be known? Is a wild donkey of a man? Um, doesn't sound too uh, appealing to me, but, but the thing we need to realize is, is what, what, what was Hagar's status? She was a servant. Did she have freedom to do what she wanted? Nope. In fact, she'd just been told to go right back and submit. So he should be a wild donkey of a man. Anybody else think of anywhere in Scripture where it 
tells us about a wild, wild donkeys. I didn't remember either. I've read my Bible many times, but I didn't remember. But uh, for sake of time, we won't look at it. But, but in Job chapter 39, um, um, the Lord, is, as he's speaking to Job, actually has like four verses devoted to the wild donkey. And you know what the key theme is there? Freedom. Freedom. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. It's basically saying, there's a, a prediction of prophecy, saying this, he's going to be free. Um, so, and, and we know from, from subsequent, uh, both the immediate context and, and, and later history, that basically he and his descendants lived a nomadic lifestyle in the desert. Um, then it says, the second prophecy here, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. This is really about that notion of, of power. He's able to, um, and part of that nomadic existence was often, you know, raiding other people. So there's kind of that sense there's these, these battles back and forth, uh, maybe. But basically, he had the power to maintain his freedom. No one is going to take that freedom away from him, be able to preserve that freedom. Um, and if we, very interesting verse, um, if we are, uh, in fact, let's, 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 let's look at this, okay? Um, so, because when God makes a, makes a prophecy or a promise, it's fulfilled in the way that he says. Genesis chapter 25, let's just turn there real quick. Genesis uh, 25, verse 18 says, um, They settled from Habilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled, this is, sorry, this is talking about uh, Ishmael and his descendants. He settled over against all his kinsmen. It's the exact same expression that we see, um, that, that, that we see here um, in, in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 12, the third part of that prophecy, right? So, um, he should be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. Right? That's the third prophecy regarding him, fulfilled literally, Genesis 25, 18. Basically, the idea of over against is not the sense of, of fighting, but, but more of a, a geographical sense of alongside. Um, that that uh, he and his descendants would, would live alongside um, their, their neighbors. So it's basically a geographical expression here. <clears throat> so some promises concerning, um, concerning, concerning Ishmael to give hope um, to Hagar that as she returns, God has a plan and a future for her son Ishmael. So what is, what is um, her response here in the midst of that? Does she have hope? Verse 13 so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, right? Or the one who sees. Do you realize this is the only recorded example that we have in scripture of someone giving a name to God? Hmm. Interesting. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Berlahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar's response here is recognizing that she had truly encountered God and that God 
not only saw, but heard her affliction, her distress. God gave her hope in the midst of, a, of what most of us would consider a very hopeless situation. And then we find it kind of ends here. Um, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So it's very clear, right? This is, you know, um, this child was born. This was Abraham's child, right? His legitimate offspring. And we'd have to continue the, the, the story um, here, which we won't do for the sake of time, but to see um, kind of how, how that continued. It's a very interesting story um, here. But... Um, Let's, let's, let's go back and let's look at our outline and let's look at it through a, through a, through a different lens here. Um, so I'm going to go back and go through our, our outline again. So verse 1, um, remember where we talked, we talked about an awareness of things that were not what they should be. My outline here is get with the program. Know what God's program is. Get with it, right? So know, know what God is doing in the world today. What is God doing in the world today? Somebody, somebody tell me. What's God doing? What's God's program and purpose in the world today? He's changing hearts. He's changing hearts. Great. What else? Seeking to save the lost. I'm sorry, you heard something about the law? Seek and to save the lost. Oh, to seek and to save the lost. Yes, absolutely. God's desire is what? That all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And how, what, what institution does God, is God using today? Hint, hint. He's using the church. That's special. That's different from the way that he was working beforehand, the way that we'll see him working in the future. Guess what? We're here this morning. If, you're a, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are part of the church. Even if you're not officially a member here, part of the church in a, in a larger sense, God has chosen the church to accomplish his work in the world today. So get the program. Understand what God is doing. Abram and Sarah recognized the importance of a child to, to fulfill God's blessing. They didn't do it the right way, but at least they understood that. So the challenge here for us this morning is, do I really understand what God is doing in the world today? And secondly, am I choosing to be a part of that? of what God is doing in, this wor in the world today. Um, evangelism, discipleship, godly marriages, godly homes. Um, heard some, through the prayer request, I heard some, uh, some of you mention some things that are happening in this community and the ways that you're involved in lives. And that's great. That's what we need to see. Um, it's not only about what God is doing through missionaries in New Zealand, missionaries in France or wherever, it's about what God is doing in your midst right here in this community. It's the first time I've ever been, been in this community. I don't know what the needs are, but you know what? I know what God's program is for this community. And the question is, how am I involved? What am I doing? Um, so, so Abraham and Sarah were very passionate, emotionally invested in seeing God's promise fulfilled. How passionate are you? 
and I can say this right, I don't know you, I just met you guys this morning, never met anyone here to my knowledge before, you know, so Pastor Zink didn't give me a list of, of please preach this point and look over in that corner, no, he didn't give me that, but, but, but honestly, like, what are you passionate about? There's nothing wrong with the ball game. My wife and I actually watched the Seahawks game last week. <laughs> right? But something's wrong when we're more passionate about a piece of pigskin and where it's located on the field than we are about the hearts and lives of people being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can say that about other things as well. Are you more passionate about your career than about what God is doing? More passionate about your child's academics and them getting in the right college than you are about what God is doing in their lives spiritually. One of the saddest things that, that, that we have seen and observed is wonderful Christian parents, um, but so focused on getting their kids the right, you know, getting the right scores on the, you know, on, on the SAT and the ACT and getting involved in this and that so they get accepted in the right schools and then they go to the right, the right schools and get turned around by a philosophy professor. Um, anyways, we can go on with the list, but, but, but really the question is, what are you passionate about? And I can't answer that question. But you can, and I bet your spouse can, and other family members. Second thing I want us to look at in our outline here is um, we said in our original outline, a failed attempt to make things what they should be. So here we, we really have a, a negative example. So let's turn that around and make that a positive example, right? Accomplish God's work in God's way. It's very important. We can understand what God wants us to do. We can seek to do it, but we need to do it in the right way. So we have... Um, you know, in, in France, we worked with North Africans, and, and they're all characters, just like you guys are characters, right? But um, just in a different way. But we have, um, and, and Vicky, you have to help me because I, I, I forgot the name. And you're, so Ryra's, uh, Ryra's friend um, that brought her. Um, no, 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 Cédric and. I can't remember her name. Okay, so sorry. I'm just drawing a blank here. She was very, um, how shall we say, very enthusiastic. She wanted people to come to the Lord. Do you know what she would do? She'd go to McDonald's. I, I'm not joking. She would grab them by the, by the collar. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> this is in France. Um, I don't recommend that. So I, I, I mean, I love the passion and enthusiasm, but, you know, God has... Um, ways that he wants us to work and 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 one of the things actually i wrote down here sometimes i kind of stray from my notes but i said you know none of the none of these characters in this story abraham sarah and hagar none of them came out smelling like roses they just smelled right let's do let's do god's work in god's way um um there's dr Constable is reading his commentary, and he said that Sarai tried to control the will of God by seizing the initiative from God. So let's be careful that we're doing God's work 
in God's way. So don't let the culture to guide us. Let God do the guiding. Um, in our experience in, in working with, with Muslims, um, you know, we had to learn not to press for a quote-unquote decision. Uh, I've seen that done wrongly. I remember one time I was involved in a, in a ministry in Nebraska, and I was helping out, and this evangelistic group came in, and, and a little girl raised her hand to come forward, and I talked to her, and she didn't even believe she was a sinner. But the evangelist continued to came in and saw if she wasn't signing her card, so he pressed and pressed and, and actually physically made her sign this card saying that she was a sinner and wrote down her Bible the day that she was saved. That's not what... God wants. We're not saved because we have a signature or a card or said a prayer, whatever it is. Um, but anyways, in our relationship with, in our experience with Muslims, we had to develop long-lasting relationships. It took years before they would begin to trust us. Lots of hospitality, lots of food. I enjoyed that part. I, I think I'm right along with you guys here in a few minutes, right? Um, <laughs> So with the, with the, with the potluck, um, we, we had lots of teaching. And you know what? That's, we just had to pray and then watch God work. And some came along sooner, some later, and some never did or haven't yet. But we've got to continue to do God's work in God's ways. Titus chapter 2. Um, and I, um, I was supposed to go to 12, 15-ish. I think I'm in the ish territory now, so I'm going to wrap it up. But... but um, Titus chapter 2, it talks about relationships between husband and wife, you know, husbands, wives, um, you know, uh, younger men and, and, um, um, and workers. And at the end of that list, it talks about us adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. Are we living in a way that's attractive to other people, that's, that meshes with the message that we are, that we are giving? And that's when we that's when we see results, or the kind of results um, that, that, that God is, is looking for. And the third point here is, um, I mentioned before, is that a God who comforts when things are not what they should be. Here's the message for us. See God in the midst of the messiness, because it gets really messy really quickly when we start talking about real lives and real people, doesn't it? I'm not getting any response. Are you guys, not, you guys aren't messy down here? Maybe we need to move. Um, no, just kidding. Um, you know what? There is hope. There is hope. So whether you're dealing with a particularly messy situation, whether it's at family, at work, with a neighbor, with I don't know who or what, maybe battling uh, drugs or some other addiction, you know what? There is hope. There's hope for you. And as you're, you're counseling, you're ministering, there's hope that you can give to other people. It's not by pointing to yourself. It's by pointing people to who? Point them to Christ. God reached out. Ishmael. I hear. I see. God is there in the midst of that messiness. Um. And then there's an interesting question that I, I, I flagged here earlier as well. Um, the angel of the Lord said, where have you come from and where are you going? And sometimes even before we begin to point people to Christ, 
we need to understand their background. We need to understand their story. Um, there's really, really brief here, but how many times have I just seen people just uh, continue to just kind of go through their little gospel bullets? Boom, 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 boom. And people need the Lord, but sometimes they need to understand their story where they're coming from first so we can use the scripture. They know that we actually care and we're concerned about them as individuals and not trying to get a, a scalp per se. So anyways, we've, we've looked here, um, this wonderful passage um, here that, that talks about in the midst of God's overall plan of blessing the nations, through Abraham, right? And ultimately, Abraham, and it was not through Ishmael, right? <clears throat> that line of blessing to bless all the nations. There was a blessing. And um, anyways, Gen chapters 21, 25, other passages in Scripture uh, talk about Ishmael. But ultimately, through, through Isaac, Jacob, the line of Judah, David, the descendant of David, Jesus Christ, ultimately all the world will be blessed through him and what he has done, right? And that's the, that's the overall arching story here that's, that's guiding this story here with Hagar and Ishmael and what God is doing. And so um, I just want to kind of close with this thought. <clears throat> um, what, we, what we started with in Galatians uh, chapter 3, that Abrahamic blessings are appropriated by Faith alone. Appropriated by faith alone. It's not blood relationship. You know what? Ishmael was related to Abraham. But you know what? That doesn't save him or any of his descendants or you or I. Um, if we go on to read um, the following chapters, we learn that, that Ishmael was circumcised. Did that save him? So, you know what? You may have grown up in this church. Maybe you're the son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson of a founding member or whatever. No merit with God. What people need to hear is that they need to be saved by faith through hope in that descendant of Abraham who is Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we've had an opportunity to share in France with Muslims. We've had an opportunity to share. See so God at work in the Hispanic ministry that we're involved in. And that's what, right where, where you guys are at as well here. And I've heard some, even through prayer time, heard some great examples um, of that. And just um, encourage you to be faithful to the God who has a plan and to be a part of the plan, what God is doing in the world and also in this community. Thank you.